Welcome to the I Belong Here podcast. Please join us on this journey as we will navigate the world meeting fantastic women who are real scientific role models. Together, we wish to inspire the next generation of girls who dream about being scientists. Look out for our male ambassadors too, as they do believe in the representation women deserve and earn in science. Stay tuned for amazing guests, check out the podcast description for credits and acknowledgements, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our latest episodes. And she said, don't you change, but I can't help these thoughts up in my brain, yeah. She breaking me down. Hi friends, welcome to a new episode of the I Belong Here podcast. Today I have a really special guest with me. Her name is Devin. Hey Devin. Hey. So nice to meet you finally. I feel I've known you forever from Twitter and it's so nice to, you know, <laughs> listen to you and see your face finally. <laughs> same, same. I've been very much enjoying meeting people that I know from Twitter, like in like kind of in real life, like yeah. in virtual life, I guess. So this is great. This is amazing. Thank you so much, first of all, for uh, accepting to be here. And I very much hope that everyone learns so much from this interview. Um, so I want to let the people that listens to us a bit more about you. Uh, so Dr. Devin J. Swinner, she's a recent PhD graduate from Dr. Abraham Badu Tawia Lab at the Ohio State University. Since graduating from the University of Pittsburgh in 2016 with her undergrad in chemistry, her current research is focused on developing a new ionization source for mass spectrometry, spectrometry using cellular materials for applications in clinical diagnostics. She served a chapter president of the National Organization for the Professional Advancement of Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers, and as vice president for the Black Graduate and Professional Student Caucus. In these capacities, she's able to mentor students, which awarded the Susan M. Hartman Mentoring and Leadership Award in 2018. In her free time, she also co-runs a blog, hashtag MacScientist, whose goal is to increase representation of black women in STEM fields. And more recently, she co-founded a hashtag Black in Chem Twitter campaign to amplify and celebrate black chemists. Her advocacy work is documented on her professional website, devinthechemist.com. This summer, she's going to start a senior scientist position at Merck in Railway NG. So, oh my God, this is so impressive. <laughs> This is amazing. You actually, I actually knew a lot about this stuff because obviously I see your, uh, you know, you share your stuff on Twitter with the hashtags mm -hmm. and with your blog. So I follow a lot of this stuff, uh, which is, please let me tell you, first of all, that this is impressive. Uh, this is amazing. You do a lot of things and a lot of uh, advocacy work, if that makes sense. So congratulations for that. And also for your uh, recent uh, PhD. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> This is so good and it's really impressive. Um, so I have a lot of questions uh, about it, yeah. but uh, we can start uh, from the beginning. <laughs> so uh, you are a chemist, uh, respect also to uh, chemistry. I think I, I spoke about this with another of the guests uh, in this podcast because I'm a biologist. So anytime someone, you know, pure chemist work uh, comes in front of me and tells me what they do, I'm always respecting a lot because for me, it's like, 
wow, you do that with, I don't know, molecules and stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> so would you like to tell us a bit more what you do in, in your work? Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, in your PhD or, or what are you interested now in, in your field? Yeah, so as a grad student, I my lab does mass spectrometry. I'm in one of the really more recent applications of mass spec in the last like 10, 20 years has been to use it for clinical diagnostics. So part of what my lab does is tries to develop new techniques to make that easier. Um, so my work has solely been clinical diagnostics. I work with a lot of biofluids <laughs> in grad school, um, but a lot of the things that I've been doing has been creating a new ionization source to make it accessible for people in low resource settings um, or like to take out in the field. So I use a piece of thread, I have a cotton thread that you buy from like a fabric store that's in like your sewing kits to do really high level chemistry. So I've done things from like drug screening and um, blood samples to um, obesity detection using fatty acids and serum. So it's been a lot of fun getting to like bring something new to the field, but also to like help people. I um, mean, that's what I realized I wanted my science to do, which is probably why I ended up going into the pharmaceutical industries because, you know, like that science is helping to create medicines and vaccines and things like that to help people live longer, live their best healthy lives. So, yeah. Well, that's amazing. It sounds really like, I mean, it sounds like a really focused work, if that makes sense. You work mm -hmm. with something quite concrete, but it seems that it can have, or it already has multiple applications, right? And it has like, does it has as well, like a lot of therapeutic targets as well. Could you use this method for, I don't know, you mentioned obesity, but could you also use it to detect something, um, I don't know, uh, obviously now the, the virus comes into my head because we are in oh. the <laughs> right yeah for COVID yeah could you use it to to detect stuff or to diagnose uh, things a bit more mm. like like you said right so it has several uh, potentials if that makes sense yeah so um a lot of the work that I've been doing and Dr Sierra Jackson she graduated from my lab like the semester before I did we both were working on the same ionization source for like different applications. So we, a lot of the work we've been doing is like setting the groundwork for a lot of the work that the new grad students yeah. get to actually do. Um, so I'm a little sad about that. I'm like, oh, but then I can't stay in grad school forever. So, you know, it's oh, fine. Yeah. Um, but my group does small molecule analysis. And um, so like the world of like metabolomics is something that my projects have a direct application for. So the student I'm training right now actually gets to carry out the metabolomics part of what like I've been developing for the last five years. Um, so yeah, so we are looking into, you know, different diseases. So for obesity, I started with obesity, but that could go into type two diabetes or heart disease. My advisor is really interested in type two diabetes. So that's probably the direction that project's gonna go. Um, I also am on a collaboration project that's um, developing a sweat collection patch for cystic fibrosis patients. Mm -hmm. So the work that I've been doing will be implemented for CF patients um, at with Nationwide Children's Hospital here in the States. Um, so we're getting to that point. It's at the cusp of like actually being used for diagnostic testing, which is really exciting to see. At least I have to see like the beginning of it being like, oh my gosh, this actually can work. <laughs> like, look at all this preliminary data I got real quick. Like we could actually yeah. do this. But one of the first years gets to actually like do the things with the patients. So I'm really excited for her to get to do that part. Yeah. 
Well, that's amazing. It sounds something really, you know, fulfilling, like you were saying at the beginning, you know, to help people. Uh, that's why you got into the pharmaceutical kind of uh, field, which is really, really nice. Uh, that's also part of my objectives in my research path, you know, help people with the new implants, uh, new tissue engineering strategies, uh, which is completely different from applied pharmacology. But the, the, the aim of that is to help people, you know, to get faster treatments or improved treatments of what it is nowadays. Um, so I'm curious to know, do you always had this scientific career path in your head? Uh, is this coming from early childhood or I don't know, like high school or perhaps uni? Do you always had this path in your head? Uh, where is this all stemming from? <laughs> I have always been a curious child. Like, I was that little kid that was asking her parents, okay, well, why? why? Like, well, why does this happen? Okay, but why? Like, I always was trying to figure out, like, that next level, like, learning things that way. And I've always liked science. Like, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was little. So my parents got me a telescope. I always had, like, little science kits. So they recognized that I was, like, scientifically minded very early. And they just continued to nurture that. So every time... I wanted to do something different. It was always in science. Like for a hot second, I wanted to be a surgeon. Then I saw how long med school was and was like, I don't think I want to do that. Um, yeah, I was like, you know, maybe not. Maybe I went a little too far. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a surgeon. Um, and then I fell in love with forensics because, you know, like the all of the shows, Law and Order, CSI, all types of, yeah, like those shows are like, that's so cool like I could do that stuff that they're doing in the lab that'd be amazing um but chemistry specifically came in high school like I fell in love with chemistry lab when I was in high school and then by the time I was like maybe a junior like 11th grade or so everybody knew Devin was going to college to get a chemistry degree so that was a thing so I have always liked science but chemistry specifically came in high school and then analytical chemistry came in college so when I was an undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh that's when I was like wait I get to use all of these instruments to do all these things and these instruments are expensive that looks awesome <laughs> so that's what that was the draw for that was being able to being able to realize, at least for analytical, that the applications that I can apply my science to were infinite, like I could work on anything, because at the heart of what analytical chemists do is like, we're just trying to answer questions. And like, and it allowed, it gave me room to let my question I wanted to answer change. Mm -hmm. So for a while, it was like, oh, I want to do forensic, I want to do forensics. I did an internship in the government with the Drug Enforcement Agency, had a blast, some before grad school. Um, then I got to grad school, and I was like, something was missing for me, I think. And like a lot of my projects were forensics at first with my drugs project, but then it was like, well, I could also spend this like in the clinical space or like for yeah. diagnostics and more of things like that, like more health related chemistry. Um, so then I started picking projects or like coming up with projects like that go going in that direction. And now I'm going into pharma. <laughs> so it kind of was, it was a natural progression, I think, of me allowing my interests to change, but also just like exposing myself or like following my natural curiosity. Yes. Well, it seems that your your whole path, which obviously we we said it quickly here in, in the space mm -hmm. of like some minutes, but it's not as quick, you know, in real life, it takes a lot right, of right. encouraged to go from one step to another one. 
what I like about your trajectory is that it, it seems, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that you are super self-driven, you know, following your instinct, but also exposing yourself and allowing yourself to explore different things, which I think is amazing of science. And that's something that I always encourage to new students. You just don't close your doors, focusing on only one thing, because you might find another field that complements with your actual one. And, and you can, you are where you are right now, you know, like combining all these different things. And I think that's also so beautiful to, to follow uh, when you are starting and progressing your academic career. And that's something that I want to uh, demystify as well with these interviews, not only yours, but also from other guests. Uh, that it's not a bad thing to make a mistake. You wanted to be a forensic, uh, forensic, perhaps, and you had this internship that it was amazing, but then you felt something was missing and you got to the point where you are now. Now you are going to a pharma, which it seems that is, you know, like the culmination of, of what you wanted to do. Uh, so um, congratulations for all of that, because it seems amazing. Thank you. And Thank a you. Super complete uh, path. And it seems really interesting. Um, I am a biologist, uh, but, you know, <laughs> thinking about and listening to you to all this chemistry uh, stuff and all the things that you can do with analytical chemistry, it seems super cool, to be honest. Thank you. I I have a lot of people to thank that have helped. Like, I have always been self-driven. Like, that is definitely the true. But I also ask a lot of questions yeah. about literally anything. Like, if I don't know something, I'll be like, okay, but, like, who can I talk to that can help? So I had really good mentors at Pitt that helped kind of like broaden my horizons because for a while it was like forensics or nothing else. I was like, this is what I want to do. I know this is it. This is my calling. And I was like, I was going to, yeah, I was going to, after undergrad, I was going to get a master's in forensics and start working. I have a PhD in analytical chemistry, so none of that happened, but it was because <laughs> I talked to Dr. Renee Robinson, who's a Black woman, analytical chemist. She does mass spec also, um, but she works in Alzheimer's and does more like protein type work, and I was like, I don't want to do protein. Um, not at this stage, I didn't, but um, she really was like, you might want to, uh, you can still do forensics if you pick analytical chemistry so like you getting a master's in chemistry is not going to really be helpful yeah. so consider this and then my research mentor dr tara meyer um, i was i did undergrad research with her she did polymer chemistry hmm. i don't do polymer chemistry now at all not in a real way like technically cotton's a polymer but i don't study it in the same way that i did then but like i was a baby analytical chemist with her like they half of the lab made polymers and i was taking the polymers and trying to figure out what we could do with them yeah. what are all of their properties what are they what could they be good for what other ways could we collaborate with other people um so they she tara let me grow into my own as a researcher um, so that kind of opened up my horizons about like, oh, I guess I could do whatever I wanted doing analytical chemistry. You're just learning a bunch of instrumental techniques anyway. So this is fun. I like learning things. So it was an opportunity to grow in that space. But Dr. Robinson also was like big picture because I didn't know going into undergrad that grad school was a real thing. Like you hear like, oh, yeah, people have their masters and things like that. But I was like, what does that look like for a scientist? My parents are not scientists. Like that's, they are, I have two doctors in the family, but like they're not hard scientists. So I had no idea. I was just kind of like going based off of Google. Like here's one trajectory or one pathway I could take to get to where I wanted to go. But my mentors were like, look, here are all of the other things that you could do. 
with these with this next step. Um, so it was a combination, I think, of like me being self-driven, but also me kind of always being in the right place at the right time. Like I always just so happened to meet the right person. And I was like, oh, okay, great. I need you to answer this question for me. Like, what does this even look like? Or not being afraid to ask those questions. So I try to make sure that I tell students that too. Like it's 100% okay to ask for help because I ask for help literally all the time. <laughs> well, I think it's um, so important that you that you say these things because not only mentorship is really important, and I think this is something particularly crucial in grad school, but also in in higher positions in academia. Good mentorship is really really important because it because it can shape your next steps. Although the ultimate steps relies on us because it's our own career, but good mentorship and good advice it completely changes everything. And that's you decide to ask these questions, but also to, to the right people, you know, because probably you already felt that these people were going to help you, like proper advice. Uh, perhaps you felt reflected on them or because of their trajectory, you already knew those those people were going to help you. So it's so important uh, to have mentorship uh, and good mentorship uh, nowadays, especially for the newer generations, you know, when if they feel discouraged to go to science or something, it's so important even from very early ages uh, to have like a good input and like someone like your mentor that told you, look, these are all the options that you didn't look for. And it's my duty as well to to give them to you. Most definitely. They're, they've been amazing. I tell them all the time that I talk about them in every interview I do. I'm like, yep, here are all of these people. They're all, I have pictures of everybody in my slides. Like, it's a whole thing. So I'm definitely grateful for them for just being there, like, I've, all parts of my journey. Like, they were also very excited when I was done. And they were just like, wow, we're really proud of you. I was like, thank you. That means a lot. And the people, it's been great. It has been great having them, for sure. It's amazing. And obviously now when you finish your PhD, we mentioned that you are going to go to Merck, which is a really big uh, pharma as well. Um, when did you got to this point to leave academia and grad school and transition to pharma? Because I think this is also an important step to uh, to showcase. Uh, I have a guest uh, a couple of weeks ago or like almost a month ago. She was one of my best friends, Vera. She also transitioned from academia to industry. And we were talking about the particular challenges about those worlds because they are completely different. So how was this point uh, for yourself? Did you already decide it while you were on your PhD? Is was something that you already thought, I'm going to go there? Yeah, um, I never really had that drive to want to be a professor okay. like in like a university. Like that has just never been like, yeah, that's going to be great. Like, no, I don't want to teach like 300 undergrads. Like, I, that just was never, that was never a thing for me. I also was like, they have research labs. A lot of them do, like, unless they're just like, you know, lecturers, but like full-blown professors have research labs. And I'm like, that just feels like a lot of things to juggle at once. And it just, that whole life just never seemed like a thing. Um, I do enjoy teaching. So that was, and everybody was like, 
you're going to teach at some point in your life. Like, I get that now. I'm like, okay, well, like, when I retire, yeah, but, like, I've always imagined, like, teaching younger kids. Like, I love that middle school age. Like, I did a summer camp for middle school kids because they're just so moldable at that point. You can just, like, impart so many things on them. And then hopefully that, like, like, lingers and, like, they end up going into science. But that's where I saw, I guess, like, the most fulfillment. So for me, that was what the cutoff was. Like, I didn't want to be a professor. And if I taught, it would be kids. Um, unfortunately, teachers don't get paid a lot of money. Um, and when I got to grad school, I joined a lab with a professor that was pre-tenure. And that solidified it for me that that was not, that was not my calling. Um, it, was, it was great. Like, I love the work that I've been doing. But watching him go through the tenure process was stressful for us as his grad students like the lab is growing but we're all still young so we're not graduating it's just we're just getting more and more people that we all have to manage around there was a semester where he was gone because he was doing his tenure tour like he had he was giving presentations every like every couple times a week we used to like google his name to figure out where he was going to be that week because we had no idea like we had no idea where he was. It just was like, he would just be like, okay, I won't be here this week. I'll be back this day. Yeah. I'll, then I'm leaving again. And we're just like, oh. okay. okay. <laughs> so, and we, we just had to manage as a lab, like me and the other senior students, we had to step up and be like, okay, well, right now we have first year exams to prep for and we have some candidacies. So let's just like try to figure out business as usual. Um, but watching him like, grant right all the time him like emailing us like hey i need you to edit this grant real quick i need you to send me some data for the southern one and also trying to like manage a newer lab and like being still excited about the science looked stressful like he wasn't gray when he got to ohio state but he's gray now and we were just like no we didn't like that like i it's really solidified it for me that that was stress in my life that i could choose to not have so i chose to not have that stress um Merck, though was always the dream job which is funny um because i didn't know how i was going to get there it was like one of those things like when you apply to college you always have like that dream school that's like there's no way there's no way i'm getting in but i'm gonna apply anyway and i always was like this would be amazing. It seemed like a fantastic place to work. The science I love, the people that I had met in passing at like conferences or like yeah. in workshops and stuff. Everybody that works at Merck loves it. And everybody stays for like yes. 30 plus years. Wow. And I thought that that was, that like stuck out to me that like yeah. they were able to retain people that long because it was such a fantastic place. Yeah, it was a good sign for me. But Merck was my dream job. And I was just like, there's no way I'm going to get there. So I was doing a bunch of other things, trying to find my foot in a bunch of other doors. Because, like, my parents aren't PhDs. They're not scientists. So I don't have any, like, generational connections. And my advisor was new. Like, he doesn't know a lot of people yet either. So it was really, for us, a lot of his newer grad students or newer PhDs, um, we were just kind of, like, flailing a little bit like trying to figure out like where to go who to talk to because he's a new professor so our work's not that old um so people haven't really been keeping track of us in a real way like he went to really great schools he had really huge name advisors so we did have some connections based off of his connections but nothing that was like 
we had direct access. We didn't have any like alumni from the group that were working at these places. We were, we are the people becoming the alumni working at these places. Um, and Ohio State's a big school. So people come to recruit at Ohio State. And he, my advisor, had sent me an email during my fourth year and was like, Merck's coming. Um, and typically they have, they do like a luncheon with some students. So they always send, advisors send their superstar fourth year students to go to lunch. So he was like, you need to go to this. And I was like, uh, yeah, of course I'm going. What time is it? Like, don't ask me to do anything today because I have to go talk to them. Um, but even then it was just like, you know, you're sitting at a lunch table with people just talking really, you know, casually, nothing super crazy. And I was just like, I have to get here somehow, some way. Yeah. Um, and then this past fall, I was a crazy person because no one was expecting a pandemic. Yeah. Hiring was crazy for everybody. Some jobs that I had applied to over the summer just weren't hiring. So you just didn't hear back because they were in a freeze. Yeah. Some jobs needed people, but it was like immediate. Like I need you like next month. Yeah. So it was just like, a, okay, well, how can I put my eggs in all of these baskets to see what lands? So I was like cold applying to stuff on LinkedIn. Um, I was applying, I got nominated for a postdoc fellowship from the university. Um, and that was like a super huge postdoc. I was only for a year, but it was like very interdisciplinary, which was my only way I was doing a postdoc was if it was a non-traditional postdoc. I had like come to that realization that I was like, I don't want to be a super grad student again, but if the postdoc opportunity has like lots of connections, if it's like a fellowship program that I could do different things with, then maybe. Um, and I was going to apply for this other like government type postdoc. I was applying to other pharmaceutical companies, but then after Black and Kim happened, somebody messaged me on LinkedIn and she was a Black woman, was like, hey, like I saw you from Black and Kim, stuff like that. Like, are you interested? I see you're graduating. Are you interested in a job? Yes, I need a job. That was like my intro. Every conference I had gone to. Hi, my name's Devin. I'm a fifth year graduate student graduating in May. That was what I told everybody. Like, yeah. Devin needs a job, friends. Like, hire me, please. Like, I have a CV ready to go right here. Um, and she asked if I was interested, and I was like, of course. So she asked me to send her my resume. So I did. And then, like, a couple weeks, maybe about a month later, she was like, oh, well, this job opened up. Let me know if you're interested in this job, and then I'll talk to the hiring manager. And then that is the job that I have now. Um, so it was very like serendipitous. Like I just was trying new things. Like I didn't necessarily imagine that I was going to end up at Merck, yeah. but it was definitely like on my radar of like, if I could pick my job, that would be I the would place be I would want to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they did a fantastic job recruiting me. So I have to give them credit for that because once they knew that I was looking, they were like, okay, well, we're going to give you an offer you cannot refuse. I know you're interviewing with another company, but we're going to make sure that our offer is the best offer and that we get you first. And I was oh. like, oh, okay, cool. Well, they actually did. Cool. So. <laughs> they did. They actually did. So I was, And I felt bad because I have a friend that works for the other company I was interviewing with. And he was like, we got, he's like, you took the job, didn't you? I was like, yes. Like, if you saw the offer they gave me, you would have taken the job too. Like, you guys were just moving a little too slow. Like, I'm sorry. But he felt bad because they were also trying to recruit me as well. Um, it was a very interesting hiring experience, I think. And what's even funnier is that everything that I have been doing more recently, someone from Merck has like 
found out about or has like been trying to help me with. They're like, has been like, oh, like the company is so big that people try to recruit me to other places and I have to go, hey, I'm starting in June. I'm working in this department <laughs> under this person. Just but thank you for yeah. thinking about me to like interview for another job. I appreciate that. Um, so it's really, it was, it's funny now. Um, Cause if I, if it wasn't this job, like there would have been another one that would have like, I would have gotten here eventually. Um, but yeah, so it was, it's been interesting. It seems that everything fall into place, but it um, also seems stressful. <laughs> All these changes. And obviously again, in the middle of the pandemic where no one knew this was going to happen and also, you know, like blow up so fast and, and so badly, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> So kudos to you for for doing that, you know, and for keeping that active as well, because it's not easy to to keep this active and keep this eagerness as well to, you know, to apply for a new job and also to look for a job that you love. And I think this is and going back to you saying, I didn't want to do a traditional postdoc or the, the, the career of a professor never appealed to me. I think this is really important because I think the academic market is oversaturated and unfortunately sometimes it's saturated with people that they don't want to be there. They fall because of, well, destiny, I know, or I don't know, people who get retired and then you get into that position because somebody else left their place, if that makes sense. And linking with what we were saying, how important is mentorship during grad school? I think it's really unfortunate as well when PhD students and also postdocs, to be honest, they fall into places and labs that they don't get the adequate stimulus. Just because you are an adult in grad school, it doesn't mean that you need to renounce to help. I'll say when you are doing a PhD is when you need the most help uh, because you doubt about a lot of things. I was full of imposter syndrome stuff uh, during my PhD and also now with my postdocs. Um, and it's so important to count with, with an environment and somebody that is more experienced than you in giving you advices on that. So I think it's amazing that you had clear in your head from the very first beginning that that professor career was not good for you. Um, I'm pretty sure you are amazing teaching, but I think it's also amazing that, that you decided to, to challenge that, you know, and, and to, you know what, I'm not gonna do this. Uh, you had also really clear what a postdoc would look like for you. Postdocs, they tend to be, uh, depends on the funding, but sometimes they are short. They are like one year. So then you can overlay a lot of contracts. And you, I think you really have to be sure that that's the way you want to go. Because um, for me, science is all about fun. You know, we love our job and we discover so many things and we help people like we were saying at the beginning. So it's so important to do that in a job that, that you love. And um, I think uh, Merck did a really good job recruiting you. And I think uh, you are going to have a blast there as well for what it sounds. <laughs> that's, what, that's what everybody keeps telling me. I'm like, I will see what happens when I get there. But I am very excited about it. Like I have heard very good things um, from people that work at like different parts of the company too, which was great. And I was, that was what I asked everybody when I had my all day on-site virtual interviews. It was like, well, why did you, like, why are you here? Like, why did you stay? Why this company? Because some people like left other companies to come here and then have been there for like 10 years. And I'm like, okay, like all of you all are here, like five plus years. A lot of people I interviewed with were like 15 plus years. 
what's the draw? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this next phase, but it also is daunting in the same breath because it is still Merck. And like, when I tell people that they're like, wait, really? I'm like, yeah, I can't believe it either. Like, so yeah, we'll see. Um, right. So this, this has been uh, amazing so far. I'm learning already so much and I'm so excited about it. Um, and you know, we were, we were just discussing right now challenges uh, about, um, you know, while you were looking for the job throughout the pandemic, you know, stressful, like obviously uh, when you were finishing your PhD, that's already a challenge itself. Uh, you know, finishing the last bits, finishing the writing, preparing the Viva, managing the stress of the Viva, uh, all of that surrounding a pandemic, which none of us really know what's going on or how long it's going to go. So that's a challenge itself. Um and again, I will congratulate you and, and support you and, and respect for everything that, that you did throughout that period. Uh, but I'm interested to know uh, throughout, you know, for example, when you were mentioning, you know, being in the lab and your, your mentor, your supervisor was gone and then you guys had to do everything by yourselves. To me, that's also a challenge in itself and a very big one as well to continue with your actual job uh, because you didn't renounced to be a PhD student you know you still had to take care of your own job and your own experiments yeah. and your own thesis so I wanted to navigate a bit more with you throughout any particular challenges that you have faced throughout your career whereas if it's these ones that we were talking about or some new ones that we haven't discussed and did you have you know any particular I don't know mantras or anything that uh, uh, helped you to okay, I have these challenges in front of me, but this is what I'm going to do to overcome them. Um, getting a PhD was was really hard, especially in like a pre-tenure track faculty's lab. Um, so I think with regular science challenges, we're just kind of like, we were we set the tone. So I think I was the, I guess I would be the third generation of his new students. Okay. Um, so still pretty early in like him even being at Ohio State. So just learning to set the tone and like try to navigate the science because this is still new for him too. Like yeah. that was challenging. Um, but luckily I had Sierra and we were working on similar things. They're working on the same ionization source and the same platform. Um, so it was a lot of us being like, okay, I saw this today for my thing. What did you see? And then us sitting at our desk trying to like make it make sense. <laughs> so it was a lot of that. Yeah. Um, then like other like PhD challenges is like being a black woman. Like people don't necessarily trust the things that like we say. People are always trying to challenge me for my science, just for kicks and giggles, I suppose. Um, but it that has always been a challenge I don't know if there's a, a good way if I have a mantra really of like getting over that because if anything that just feeds into imposter syndrome like oh my gosh somebody is challenging me even though like I know what I'm talking about um and people are like questioning that and it's like wait no but you didn't just question this person that yeah. definitely said a bunch of things that were incorrect but like now we're on me about that um, something that I guess I did for imposter syndrome in particular throughout grad school, I started looking for tangible things um, that like proved me wrong. Um, and I will never forget the moment that I realized I was a, an independent researcher was after candidacy because candidacy was hard. Oh my God, I would never, 
I would never want to do candidacy over again. Yeah. That was the longest time of my life. It was so stressful. <laughs> so I would never want to do that again. But after candidacy, we were prepping for one of the first years, first year exams in group meeting. And like someone was like going on a line of questioning. And I like knew the answer that my group mate was trying to get at. And I was like, oh, okay, like, I see why they're asking these types of questions. But I also noticed that this first year wasn't like over their head, like they weren't following the line of questioning. And in that moment, I was like, okay, let me take over the line of questioning. And I took over the line of questioning, able to talk the student all the way through to like the point of that they knew. And they were like, oh, this is where you're going. Yes. Now answer this question that they originally asked you. And that moment always stands out to me because it was like, I was confident in myself. Like, oh, you actually know things and like you pass candidacy because you know stuff and like your group, you can help the group or like help other people study. And after that, it was like the switch to like anybody that has a question about like instrumentation, like how does mass spec work? They just come talk to me. Devin, can you walk me through how quadruple works? Yeah, of course. Like, and I could be doing anything. Yes, of yeah. course, I'll talk to you about a quadruple really quick. That's totally fine. Um, so it was then where I started being confident in things that I knew I did well. Um, so that has really helped, like finding those small, tangible moments um, that kind of just been like, oh, no, you actually are pretty good at this. Like, this is, you can be proud of yourself for these things. Um, other things that I do, I'm, a, I'm type A, and I also am anxious. Like, I, I have decently bad anxiety. Um, and I was prone to panic attacks for a little while in grad school. Yeah. Um, and that was like on and off, like certain things, certain things would trigger panic attacks more than others. Like I would have more during candidacy was terrible. Um, then a little bit, um, like trying to just like transition to the last year in the middle of a pandemic freaked me completely out as someone that likes to be in control of things. I was like, I actually don't know if I'm going to have a job after I graduate. This is a problem. Um, and I think for that, I started relying on accountability partners. So I talk about Sierra all the time. She's one of my accountability partners. Um, she's one of my best friends in grad school. Um, one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, so she keeps me center. And she also is the one that'll be like, look, don't add anything to your calendar. Because I shared my calendar with her because there was a point where I was doing way more than I should have been, though I am busy in general. Um, so she would like call me out like, okay, you can't add anything else for this month. And I was like, what? She's like, you can't add anything else to your calendar. And I'm going to go look because I have access to your calendar. So like, don't change it. And she doesn't forget. She doesn't forget things either. So it's just like, all right. Okay. Like, I know I agreed to this. So fine. Um, but like just leaning on my support system has also been really helpful, but also recognizing what my tells are. And like being able to really just unplug, but like not feel guilty about that. And that's hard as a grad student. And pre-candidacy, Devin will be like, I can go to sleep, but I probably should work up this data instead. Or like, I probably should spend a little bit more time in lab today because you feel guilty that you're like underperforming or that other people are like excelling at a faster rate than you, which is what most bad students feel. After candidacy was really when things were like, okay i felt like i had like a strong foundation to stand on so i'm like all right now me and my advisor are gonna barter hey i want to leave for two weeks in a month before i leave i'm gonna do all of these things and then i'll give it to you 
and then we're good. And he's like, okay, cool. So that's just like how I deal with him with things like that. I'm like, look, I'll give you all of these things. So then I'm going to go though. But like real recognize that like I'm only doing this so I can leave. Um, so really just finding out, figuring out what works for you, I think is really helpful. And also figuring out how to set boundaries with your bosses is something that like I've been more willing to do after candidacy that I wish I would have done beforehand. Yes. Yeah. To be honest, uh, I agree with you a hundred percent in, in everything that you two said. I think it's so important as well to to become aware of, of the things that work for you, you know, and like you were saying, find these evidences. And, uh, you know, I cannot imagine the, the challenges that you went through as well, that sometimes uh, I don't think about them, for example, being judged by my skin color. I think that's crazy. And I think it's completely ridiculous and outrageous. And I think, unfortunately, that's a hard pill to swallow uh, and it belongs Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it belongs to to your day to day because it's there, you know. It's mm-hmm. something's in the air, if that makes sense. And it's not something. I, I mean, I hope it changes, and it's still changing and in developing. And with, you know, um, for example, the type of advocacy campaigns that you do, that's so good for, you know, promoting the change. But I think it's ridiculous and and outrageous that that happened, um, and it can discourage you so much but with testimonies and 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 stories like you i think it's so important that that young people or people that are already in grad school or even in hierarchy positions it really doesn't matter we can take all this knowledge you know and and apply to to be better and and stop judging and and you know do these things to to destroy others because it's honestly awful and i cannot imagine how how that will change your your perspective and, and, and your even your motivation. Yeah, it, it is one of those things that like every time um, I do mention, I make sure like I mention it now, right? Like because now a couple a lot of people know who I am, know I exist right this second. So I always make sure that I use any platform I'm given to just talk about it because I want people to feel like a they're not alone. And if you get enough people that have some shared, you know, experience, like other Black people, other Black women, specifically other people in chemistry, like you start hearing similar themes. And then you realize like, oh, it's not just me. So it like makes you feel a little, for lack of a better word, it makes you feel a little better that you're not alone in it. But then it also is sad because then it's like, okay, there's something overall wrong here for like why me in Ohio, somebody else in Georgia, somebody else in California can have these very similar experiences. And so that's why I was really grateful that Black and Kim grew to what it grew to be and all the other Black and X weeks to really just start like shedding light on a lot of these issues that like we do deal with every day that are like not not specific to being in lab, but like walking down the street or a lot of people, um, there's a hashtag called Black in the Ivory I mean, it's a lot of people sharing their experiences about what it's like being Black in, like, predominantly white spaces. And a lot of stories I've seen people just like, oh, people have been called, like, the cops have been called on them because they were trying to go to lab late. And people didn't know that they were supposed to be there. Like, so you just assume because you saw a Black person that, you know, that would happen. And I'll never forget, Sierra and I were on campus one day. And we, it was, it wasn't even super late on campus. It might've been like 4.35 o'clock and we had gotten an alert um, that like something had happened and they were looking for like two black women 
um, that were dressed similarly to what we looked like that day. And we were like, oh, oh. we need to leave right now. Because if somebody sees us, like if we didn't do anything, but it was like if somebody sees us, then like this could go in a direction that like we don't need it to go. But it was like people don't necessarily realize that like those things happen to Black people often. And like it's just a part of our quote unquote normal experience and like things that like we have to learn to deal with on top of like the regular stresses of being a grad student or like the regular stresses of being a scientist. So it is finding support, like you were talking about earlier, I think is also really important. Like I've been very grateful to have the people in my life that have been in my life that like I can talk to when things like this happen or like when other when like I have a bad science day because that's something else that like typically black people don't get to experience. Like, oh, I can have a bad day because my experiment didn't work. Not, and I just want to be able to like be a scientist sometimes. I don't want to always have to be the voice of black people. Um, but, and that's what a lot of people have to do in their spaces because it's so few of us that occupy higher education in the sciences. Um, so it's just hopefully, fingers crossed, that a lot of these things with more people, you know, talking about them and their testimonies and hearing their stories does kind of really put a magnifying glass on a lot of these issues and that we can actually start making some systemic changes. Well, I think you are incredibly brave and an amazing role model to showcase this stuff. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Honestly, because I, that's one of the things that I will also like to transmit with, with this podcast, you know, because, you know, for all the things that we have been talking about, imposter syndrome, anxiety, panic attacks, just about that they all go around science. Mm-hmm. If you put on top uh, like problems with your skin color and things that you were saying that, oh, you got an alert that somebody was looking for you guys, I cannot even imagine how stressful and sad that must be. So I think you are incredibly brave for taking this, this courage to to do something beautiful out of it and sharing that testimony with people because I can assume that this discourages a lot to young girls and, and, and little girls as well because they wa- they might already feel that there is not a place for them. And yeah. I think this is so sad. And I really hope that with, with the help from, you know, the campaigns that you do and, and from you know, uh, science communication and things like that, the situation changes. I want to be a supervisor in the future after my postdocs. I want to have my group. And I cannot even imagine one of my students being stressed because of something that is completely, like, completely different from their science, you know? It has nothing yeah. to do with your capabilities as a scientist or even as a person with where are you from, What's your religion? What's your skin color? What's your gender assignment? It has nothing to do with uh, what you are trying to discuss and do your job. You know, it's something that it's supposed to be natural, you know, do your job without any of these um, judgments that are outside. So I think you are incredibly brave and, and so inspiring. You know, I'm learning so much from from everything that, that you are saying. And, and I hope, you know, that more and more people go in the loop of this and, and become aware and become, uh, I think it's really important that word, you know, to become aware of these problems, to mm-hmm. respect them and spot them as well when this happens and support one another as well. 
yeah, most definitely. So we'll see what it looks like in the next, you know, five to 10 years. I'm very <laughs> curious with a lot of how everything has been going to see what changes are actually made and like what's actually going to last so we can start recruiting and retaining you know keep students of color and like they're not leaving grad school like completely resentful of their experiences what do you think is something that uh we could do uh specifically to uh to retain more women in science what do you think is something that we could do uh obviously um universities and companies that's something way above our regulations if that makes sense but what do you think is something that we need or we could do to enhance the incorporation and the retainment of women in in science what do you think yeah um i think there are a lot of great organizations that are already doing really good work to highlight and showcase women of science and i'm all about not reinventing the wheel if we don't have to Um, so there are lots of organizations like for like mass spec for example there's an organization called fems so females in mass spectrometry they put on events and things like that um, i'm sure a lot of universities have like women in science or women in yeah. stem um, organizations so really just making sure that those organizations are supported mm -hmm. our department um, has organizations housed under it so it's not just like an umbrella like under everybody it's under the chemistry department Uh, we have what's called Focus, which is for, for women in science, and they put on symposiums, things like that. But I think a lot of it is making sure that they're taken care of holistically. Like some women might want to have kids in grad school. Like that is their right. They might be married. So making sure that like they're making enough money or that they're like actual like maternity and paternity leave policies in the department. That's also really important. Um, I define women as also including trans women. Um, so for making sure that trans women feel supported, um, whether that looks like putting pads or sanitary napkins and, you know, in uh, items in the bathroom, that's fine. Like making sure you're using gender inclusive language, that those are all very easy fixes that really help people feel like they belong. Um, and also really trying to recognize patterns. And I think that that's something that people don't necessarily like doing because they might not like what the pattern says. But like if there are people in the department that have no women in their research groups, yeah. why do they not have women in their research group? Or if they do have women, but they're all leaving with master's degrees and not finishing, or they're staying longer than everybody else, like look for those things. Um, but really just as a matter of like treating us as full people, like we are scientists, but we also are people that have lives and needs and making sure that those basic needs are met, I think is a, a good recipe for success with retention. Yeah. Well, I think all these things are, are amazing. And I hope that everyone that listens to, to this episode retains this stuff. I'm definitely going to retain it. You know, I not only with this podcast but also in my day-to-day -day routine i'm always advocating for women inclusivity respect i'm trying to call out as well uh, for support from woman to woman so if you think dodgy happening uh, i don't like to stay shut up anymore i like to actually challenge it and i was talking about this with one of the male ambassadors from this podcast the problem is not to or the issue of this is not to point wrong to someone is actually make them learn 
you know, because everyone can make a mistake. Uh, and I like to believe in the in the goodwill of people. I mean, if you if you do that thing, you know, support woman to woman, or when you see, you know, like a male colleague saying something inappropriate, I think it's so important to to be aware of these things. And uh, also with minority groups, we need to be really aware of what is happening to support them and to feel like they belong. So I completely agree with you that those things, we need to do them uh, as a team so we can potentiate the change and even, um, I don't know, like enhance other kind of programs in universities or, or companies because we as a team, we are supporting each other. Yeah, we'll see. I'm interested. I love when people ask me what can we do. I'm like, well, I have so many ideas. <laughs> so many ideas. Yeah, I know what works. Because a lot of it also comes down to like having mentorship for people. Like everybody has a very different and unique experience. So learning to be flexible, I think is something that people don't necessarily like. Because they like, like, this means this. And like, I'm only going to deal with this this one way. But like, People are not monolithic by any means. So learning how to like roll with the punches and figure out that like intersectionality even for women exists and like learning how and being aware of how different identities play a role in an, in an experience, I think also is something that people can do that theoretically for, you know, the goodwill of all people, people should learn how to do. Yes. Well, that's amazing, uh, Devin. And just, I have one last question for you yeah. to conclude the interview, uh, which has been amazing, by the way. I've learned, I'm, I've learned and I'm learning so much every episode. It's <laughs> <is> amazing. <laughs> um, you know, grasping all these things that we were talking about, what can we do? Uh, how we can mm -hmm. support each other? Uh, and about the mentorship as well. If I link all that stuff together and you had, a group of young women or little girls in front of you, what would you tell them to inspire them to engage and to stay in scientific careers? Yeah, um, something that I always tell people now is that it's okay if your your plan changes. Okay. And this is from a type A person that like has things planned out. Like I'm the color coding, put it on my calendar to do list type person. Yeah. Um, but Realize that it is okay that if your plan change and that has nothing to do with you or your capabilities, but just because you're allowed to grow and like your interests are totally going to change. So like allowing grace for them to change, I think is something really important. And that also ties into the fact that science is really broad. Like really, like even chemistry, my favorite I'm a chemist, like they have this one idea of what that means. I'm like, I'm not the chemist that makes the things. Yeah. I don't do any kind of synthesis. Like I did not actually like organic chemistry when I was an undergrad. I wanted to stay far away from that. <laughs> yeah, I just was like, nope, nope, I don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, and I think that is the other thing. Like because science is so broad, you can always fall into something that you love. Um, and that's totally fine if that thing that you thought you loved one day when you were like 10 changes when you're 27. Like yeah. being able to pivot I think is is really important for really staying in STEM as well. Because people kind of like pigeonhole you like, oh, you're on this one track. And it's like, no, this one track branches off into like six other ones that you could still pursue. Yeah. Um, so knowing that like there are a lot of options and opportunities and people like me that are here to support. I'm a great cheerleader. So I do 
always tell people that if they don't want to celebrate their victories, they don't have other people to celebrate them, tell me. I will happily celebrate that victory. Yeah, like just tell me. I will hype you up, I promise. So yeah, so that's the advice that I would give. Yeah, I hope that everyone that listens to this episode gets as inspired as me. Um, <laughs> I, I think you are brave. I think you are an amazing role model. I think you inspire a lot of people already. And I hope that this episode gets showcased and shared many, many times as well, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure everyone is going to learn a lot. Um, I agree with you with what you said earlier, that you should be proud of yourself. Uh, and uh, congratulations for everything that you have achieved. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm so happy that uh, that you are here in this podcast. And uh, thank you so much for, for everything, really. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yay!